Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and take your seats. Give the person you're mingling with a hug or a high five or something good like that. I see a hug. Good job, Margie. (laughs) I think sometime that I'm preaching, it's just going to be random, but I want to do like musical chairs where I make everybody find a new, like the person that you were just talking to is now who you're going to sit by for the rest of service. So be prepared in the coming year. Maybe I'll switch things up or maybe we can do that with youth. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Katie Simbersky. Hi, Dalt. Love you. You know me. You've known me. <laughs> you and your wife are the reason that my husband are actually here at this church. Um, and as we were worshiping to that last song, and as um, Blake spoke a prophetic word, and then Alex got up here and spoke a prophetic word, I was just reminded of the goodness and faithfulness of God that my husband and I have seen while being in this church. And as we start year eight today with Church Church 214, my husband and I have a few months ago started our seventh year here. And I was reminded of the significance of that in the Bible. Um, The seventh year was uh, the year of Jubilee. And there's, I could preach a whole message on that probably, but how... Um, true that is for our life and where we are today. And the people in this church who have carried us um, and pointed us to Jesus in our brokenness, um, our marriage has been redeemed in this church. We, um, we have, we dedicated our oldest son here in this church. This year, um, we received our miracle son in this church. My husband received his um, dream job, which I believe is his calling in this church. And tomorrow, we close on our house. (laughs) Which is amazing because it's been a dream of ours for probably five or six years now. Um, But the people of this church and the ways that they've loved us and supported us um, we, their homes have been our homes when we've been without a home. Um, Blake and Isaac, we lived in one of their homes for six months while they were waiting for it to sell. And so I'm just so thankful for this church and the people of it. Um, and I hope that if you are visiting with us today, or if you are new here, um, that you find, that you can find that here, that you find a safe place. And, um, sometimes it takes stepping out of our comfort zone and choosing to serve, and that's the way we get to know people, and that's the way we get to build community with one another. And so um, I, I love that we start with the mingle because it's just, even though it's about two minutes, it's two minutes where we get to hug someone and talk to someone that we wouldn't uh, see on our regular week. And so, um, yeah, I'm just so thankful for this church. God, um, 
we are thankful for the ways that you move. We are thankful for the ways that you show up for us. Um, and Lord, I am thankful for every single person in this room and the ways that you have touched their lives um, already and the things that you are about to do in their lives. God, may um, our faith just be ignited by this word today. Lord, um, would you just remove anything of my flesh that might be in this message, Lord, and may it be just all for your glory, Jesus. Um, may hearts be um, redeemed. May they be pointed back to you, Lord, and may... Um, I just ask that we would recognize the fresh outpouring of your spirit that is on this place today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Um, a few months ago, we sat in Chris and Heather's basement. Um, dudes, you meet down there for basement night, but it's also where we meet for the teaching team meetings um, because there are a lot of us. And so when we decided on this David series, I felt a nudge to preach in it. And we all kind of chose a characteristic of David, and I think I might have been the only one in that meeting that didn't have a set um, characteristic to preach on. But I knew that when I left that night that it would be on his brokenness. And I'm like, okay, God, well, that's not really a characteristic. I don't like that. We're just going to sit on this for a while. And in true God fashion, even though I told him, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, I don't like it. And I felt like I was going to, like, kill the vibe of the series by preaching on his brokenness. Everybody else had these powerful words like king and shepherd and psalmist. And I'm here with, sorry, guys, he's not that great. Um, <laughs> and that tension was pretty uncomfortable for me. Um, and so about a couple weeks ago, I'm like, okay, God. I really have to start writing this down. If you want to change your mind now, it's a perfect time to tell me, give me something else. And that wasn't what he gave me. Um, instead, he defined the word broken for me. And what he told me is to preach on the humanity of David. Um, and how his humanity uh, on this earth, he served as both a son and servant physically, like servant to the people of Israel. He was a son of Jesse, but he also was a son of God and a servant for the Lord by choosing to be the king of Israel. And so David's life and his humanity, it's a testament of God's grace, love, mercy, and compassion for all of us. Um, and that God has those things for his people. And then his life is also a testament on how we, when we truly accept those things, how we get to know the heart of the Father more. And despite our brokenness and our humanity, we can live holy, humble, and righteous lives devoted to the Father. And we know a lot about David's life um, since about the age of 13. And it's documented for us up until his death. And so, like Chris preached last week, he was a son of Jesse, but he was rejected and then redeemed when he was anointed to be king. And he humbly served Saul for years until it was his time to become king. He was a giant slayer, a skilled musician, a king, a father. We know him after the man, after God's own heart. And we see all of his victories documented for us. But with his victories, we also see his shortcomings. We see his sins and his questions and his wrestling with God. The Psalms aren't all butterflies and rainbows. If you have not read through them, um, I just, I just love David's vulnerability in the Psalms and his wrestling with God. Um, 
we, you see his doubts and his fears in the Psalms as well. And I think those are so important because when I was looking, I was Googling characteristics of David in hopes that God would give me a different characteristic. And so I was like, oh, I'll just Google this. Hopefully something will pop up and I'll be like, oh, that's it. And as I, King was one, Shepherd was one, skilled musician one. And then the last one I read was Imperfect Messiah. And his life um, correlates so much to Jesus. And um, I feel like people, like he could be known as like the Old Testament Jesus kind of. But I think we miss his shortcomings and his inequity so much. And if we miss those things, and we look at just these um, perfect things, and this can be for anybody, it's not just for David, but if you only look at all the perfect and great things about someone's life, then you miss the perfection and sinless life of Jesus. If you, um, if you don't accept the humanity of your neighbor and the brokenness of your neighbor, and you hold them on this pedestal in this place where only Jesus can be, then you miss the sinless life of Jesus. You miss the perfection of Jesus. And then if we miss the perfection of Jesus, we miss his grace and his redemption. And I never want to forget that my husband and I were, have, were having a conversation last night, and it was on a pretty heavy topic of things that are going on in our world. And I looked at him and I said, I know I know that I know that I know that I will never be as great as I like as great as I think I can be in my mind. And the person next to me is never going to be that. Like I never want to put myself in Jesus's place in someone else's life. And I never want um someone else to take the place of Jesus in my life. Like I think there there's something so beautiful when we can um, sit across from somebody and look them in the eye. And like Chris did last week, we can be vulnerable and authentic and we can share our hearts with people. And you know, and I can be, I'm just as broken and sinful as you are. And I need Jesus just as much as you do. And like Chris said last week, um, we're all murderers, we're all adulterers. And none of us have escaped sin. And you might be like, okay, can we get to some happy things now? <laughs> Sorry, guys. But I am so thankful, and I think we all should be so thankful for the life of David and the foundation it has laid for not only us, but it laid for Jesus, right? Jesus came from the line of David. And I wonder if David knew um, when he was living his life here on earth, earth if he knew um, the impact that his testimony would have on generations to come. Like, if he knew that people would be reading this thousands, thousands of years later and get to read about his life, not only the victories, praise God for the victories and the ways that he used David, but also in the ways that we can recognize his sin and his brokenness. And I think there's something so beautiful about um, the authenticity of David's life because he was a man after God's own heart. I believe he still is. I mean, he's in heaven with Jesus. And we get to learn from his life. We get to learn how even though he was sinful, 
how he turned back to the Lord and how there is redemption and grace for all of us. That the, there, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And that is, um, I just love how his life, it modeled um, how despite our brokenness, we can be holy and humble and righteous. And so many of his sins are documented for us. And I'm sure there's more that his day-to-day things that aren't documented for us. Um, And this is like probably his most famous sin is his affair with Bathsheba. And most of us probably know the story. David sees Bathsheba. He calls for her. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. But then it goes a step further than that. And to cover up the affair, he first tries to get her husband, Uriah, to come home from battle. But Uriah was a dedicated soldier, and he's like, nope, I'm staying where I'm supposed to be. And so since he didn't come home, David had the rest of the army abandon him in battle, and he was killed by the opposing army. And I don't know about you, I was racking my brain to like, oh, what was a time in my childhood where I tried to cover something small up? And I really couldn't... think I wasn't a perfect kid, but I couldn't think of anything that was like major. Um, But I think we all have things in our life, like maybe it's just that little white lie and then it doesn't work out in your favor and you kind of just spiral until you have to fess up. That's like the, the small thing. Or maybe it's something big that you think no one will, no one ever has to know this. I am okay if no one ever knows this about me. And then so you just sit in this shame and guilt and you keep it hidden for years. And then as you keep shame and guilt hidden for years, it turns into these invisible chains that you think you're bound to, but you actually aren't. And then with sitting in these chains that you have made for yourself, you start believing lies of unworthiness. You start believing that the grace of God isn't sufficient for you anymore. You start believing that you can no longer be used by him, that he doesn't love you, that you are the most broken person in the world, and how could, how could God love someone like you? And I can't imagine how David felt after his sin spiral. And I don't, we don't know how long um, he probably sat in that shame and guilt for. But he was probably so ashamed. I mean, he, had, he got another, a married woman pregnant, and then he killed her husband. And so I can't imagine how ashamed he was. But God knew. And he loved David so much. And he loved David so much that he sent the prophet Nathan, who was also his friend, to call him out on his sin. Church, we all need a friend like Nathan. We all need someone who isn't afraid to call us on our crap and point us back to Jesus. Because David could have, or Nathan could have said, nope, I'm good. I don't want to do that. If he gets mad at me, he can have me killed. And I don't, I don't want to call somebody out on their stuff because I'm afraid they're going to be mad at me. Like, David could have had him killed. But he chose obedience. And in 2 Samuel 12 is where he, Nathan confronts David. 
And it says, so the Lord sent Nathan to the, the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole and having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and you were saved from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and his kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have, for you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. And then um, later down in verse 13, David confesses to Nathan and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied to him, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. And so I love how, um, I love how, first of all, I love how Nathan calls David out and he's not like, hey, you did this, but he has this story to go with it. And then he sees David's anger and then David's like, and then he calls David out and he's like, you are that man. And then I wonder, David was probably like, oh crap, yes, I am. And then he confesses to Nathan that he has sinned against the Lord. He confessed his sin to someone else. And then Nathan, being a prophet and a friend, he said, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. The Lord has forgiven that sin and you won't have to die for it. And I'm so thankful for Nathan's obedience and David's humbleness. And how um, we, need, we need both of those. Because Nathan chose to be obedient to confront David, but then David's heart had to be humble enough to, to accept that con confrontation and turn from sin. And out of that confrontation um, and recognition of David's sin, the Lord produced Psalm 51 through David, which that will be our main focus for today. So make sure you write that down because this Psalm, it beautifully displays not only David's humanity, but ours as well. And it shows us um, what true repentance is and how that a heart posture is not just, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, let's move on. But it's a recognition that we are under the authority of God and how our brokenness and humanity when operating under the authority of Christ, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Our brokenness is not this, is not this bad thing like a monkey on our back, if that's a saying, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's not this thing that we have to carry and be like, oh my gosh, I'm this awful person. 
But our brokenness and humanity, when we operate under the authority of Christ, it produces humbleness and holiness and righteousness that we are called to live out while we are on this earth to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so Psalm 51 says, God, give me the mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt. Lord, I know that you love me so much that it's okay, like that it can wash away my guilt if I choose to, to know that you love me. Because your compassion is so great, take away this shameful guilt of my sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. That's verse one and two. And this right here is true repentance. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways. Lord, forgive the things I may not even notice. The things I haven't even, the sin that I choose that I don't even know that I'm operating in. Verses three and four. For I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you. For you saw it all. Against you and you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true. And your judgment conquers me. Again, this is true repentance. Lord, I sinned against you. I broke your heart. It's nothing that God did wrong. It's all me. And I did it right in front of you. And when we sin, um, I think we often think about, like, what is everybody else going to think about me if they know this about me? And right here, David's showing us what's most important is that you did it right in front of God. Like, he's the first person that knows. He knew before you did it. And he's the first person that knows. And he is the first person we should run to and say, Lord, forgive me. Verses five and six, Lord, I have been a sinner from birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. This is right here is humbleness. David's not saying, I'm a king and your spirit and your favor are upon me. Instead, he's recognizing his humanity. He's recognizing that since he was conceived, he was a sinner. I don't like to think that my 10-month-old son has a sin nature, but he does. And that's just part of the fallen, broken world that we live in, is that we are, are born sinners. But it's important to know that the Lord doesn't think any less of you because you were born a sinner. He knew that. He created you. That wasn't his original intention for your life. But he still delights in you. He still delights in placing his truth in your spirit. But we have to have humble hearts in order to accept that. And in order to accept um, the wisdom that he wants to place inside of us, the truth that he wants to place inside of us. And we have to be humble enough to let him correct us to go in the way that we should. Verse 7, purify my conscience, make this leper clean again, wash me in your love until I am pure in heart, 
Again, this is true repentance. Lord, wash me clean. Wash me in your love and your grace. Jesus, wash me until my heart is no longer one of flesh, but it's pure and holy and righteous in your sight. Verse 8, satisfy me in your sweetness, and my song of joy will return. The places you have crushed within me will rejoice in your healing touch. Again, this is humility. Jesus, you're enough for me. Jesus, you satisfy me. I just want you. Lord, help me to not walk in shame and guilt any longer, but let your healing touch bind up all my wounds. The places that I've been crushed, um, just come in and bind them up. Bandage them up for me, Jesus. Verses 9 through 11. Hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Keep creating in me a clean heart. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take from me your sacred spirit. This is holiness and righteousness. Lord, keep refining me. Refining me. Keep working in my heart. Keep helping me turn back to you, Jesus. Keep helping me turn away from my sin so that I can be holy and righteous and walk with you and know you more. Verse 12. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say holiness and righteousness. Then I can show other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you knowing that you will forgive them. Oh God, my saving God, deliver me fully from every sin, even the sin that has brought blood guilt. Then my heart will once again be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of joy and deliverance. This is testifying. And I think out of, our, out of our brokenness and repentance and when our hearts are um, healed and walking closely with God, then this is, the, this is what we get to do. Verse 13 says, Then I can show other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. We get the privilege to testify of the goodness of God. We get the privilege to take our brokenness and the things that we thought were awful and going to be the downfall of us. And we get to bring glory to God and we get to help other people come to know Jesus and walk in that grace and mercy that he has for us. 15 through 17. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I bow down humbly at your feet. Humility. Accepting our humanity and his authority. And the source of his pleasure, it's not found in your performance or your sacrifices. 
but the fountain of his pleasure is found in the sacrifice of your shattered heart before him. Your shattered heart before him. And our heart can only be shattered when we're truly repentant for what we did. When we know the depth of our brokenness and our humanity and our need for Jesus. And I love how David beautifully writes this for us. That he doesn't despise our tenderness. He doesn't despise our brokenness and our humanity. He knows that about us. And he loves us. And then we get to testify of his goodness and his grace. Verses 18 and 19. Because of your favor, Zion, do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around Jerusalem. And when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring sacrifices of our righteousness before you in love. Church, true repentance brings freedom. True repentance, it, I think it can change our view of sin. Like, we cannot escape that. That's why Jesus came and he died for us. But we can no longer be content with it. And we can't keep brushing it off and sweeping it under the rug and using the excuse that just because we live in a fallen and broken world, our sin is justified. And I think the reason why I had trouble preaching on brokenness is because my flesh correlates it, that and humanity, with unworthiness. And we can't keep believing this lie. And we can't keep believing that our humanity is our downfall because it's not. We get to, um, it should be an honor that we get to humble ourselves before the Lord. It should be an honor that we um, get to be under the authority of Christ because he's already given us all power and authority to turn from sin and walk in righteousness. And that's a daily choice. That's a moment by moment, hour by hour choice to choose to choose Jesus over the ways of this world. It is, it would be so easy. No, it wouldn't be easy. To our flesh, it seems easier to live to the world's standards. But it's not. And I know, and I know that so well, because Earlier I said my marriage was redeemed in this church and the enemy tried to lie to me and say you shared this story too many times. <laughs> but I, I don't think we can praise God for his goodness and his faithfulness too many times. Um, so if there's something that you feel like, oh, I've shared that story too many times, don't believe that lie because the Lord will use it in a different way for every person. Just how we read his word and we get something new from it every time. I think when we testify of his goodness, even though it feels repetitive, it brings something new to us of the Lord working in us, and it brings something new to somebody else. And so after about a year of being in this church, um, I'm doing the math and I'm bad at it. I think it was 2016 uh, in the fall, about, a, I'm trying, yeah, in the fall of 2016, um, I had randomly asked my husband for a divorce, and it was news to him. He had no idea it was coming. Um, and there was a lot that played into it, and 
I was not closely following Jesus. I was showing up to church on Sunday mornings, but that doesn't mean that I had a relationship with the Lord. And that doesn't mean that um, I might have seemed like I had a relationship with Jesus on a Sunday morning, but the choices that I was making Monday through Saturday and even probably Sunday after I left church were a lot different. And so I chose what my flesh wanted which I don't even know at the time what that really was. Um, And I asked him for a divorce, and I couldn't give him a good reason. And he left that conversation completely confused and broken. And over the course of three months, um, I had my own Nathan in my life, and she, she isn't in here today, but I think Peyton texted me almost daily, And she would send me articles and, like, Instagram pictures of verses, and I would just ignore it and delete it and go on with my life. But the Lord used her to call me out on what I was doing. I knew what I was doing was wrong. And the choices that I made in that time frame, and even before then, um, on both of our ends, when we came back together and my heart was truly repentant and my heart broke for the decisions that I was making. And I realized, like, I realized, Lord, this isn't what I want. And the choices that I've making have only been harming me and my family. And especially, by especially God, like, that's not what he designed our marriage for. This isn't what he wanted for us. And so when we, um, we went through some marriage counseling, but it was just a random night at our table and we just both looked at each other and we laid it all out there. And I was terrified because I thought that, um, I was like, this is it. If I tell him all of this and I've told him, tell him all of these things and the ways that I felt for years and um, the adulterous decisions I made against him, I was like, Lord, if I tell him all of this, then he's going to walk right out that door. And it's the exact opposite of what I was expecting. And we both met each other with so much grace and love and compassion. And I don't know why I expected it to go any other way. And I say this, I've said this before, but how the Lord has just showed me his, um, his love for me through my husband. And Daryl, when you shared something this morning, that made me tear up because he has modeled the love of the Father for me so well. And he's modeled the love of Jesus for me so well, time and time again. There was... When I was preparing for this message, I was like, Lord, is there anything in my heart that I need to repent of before I get on stage and preach about repentance to your church tomorrow? And we were laying in bed last night, and I looked at him, um, and I said, I need to ask forgiveness for X, Y, and Z. And he just looks at me, and he's like, I know, I forgive you, and I love you. And I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) That was easy. It's always, I think we have, and this is one of the things that I had to repent of, I have expectations on how I think something's going to go, whether good or bad. 
And my flesh, it, th- it, it doesn't thrive in those expectations, but that's where my mind goes. That's where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I cannot, no one will forgive me if they know this. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. Because we are met not only when we repent to one another, but first when we go to the Lord and then we accept that forgiveness from him and we accept that we are under his authority. And then when we turn and we confess to someone else, whether or not they take it well or how we expect them to, you are forgiven by God. And that's the most important thing. And if we can operate in that truth that you are forgiven and you are worthy and you are redeemed, then we can start living holy, humble, and righteous lives. The lives that we were created to live to bring God glory. And he doesn't want us to be separate from him. Psalm 36 says, I'm going to read the first verse in the NIV version, and then the rest will actually be in the NLT. But when I opened my Bible this morning, I loved the wording of the first verse. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 2, in their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or good. They lie awake at night hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. They make no attempt to turn from evil. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like a mighty mountain. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for your people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delight. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Don't let the proud trample me or the wicked push me around. Look, those who do evil have fallen. They are thrown down, never to rise again. We know that sin separates us from God, but he knows the fullness of our humanity. He created us, and even before the fall, he created us with a dependency on him. And he knows that there are going to be times that we break his heart. And he knows that there's going to be times that we step out from under his covering, from his authority view that covering as his authority. Like we step out from under his authority because we make decisions um, that won't bring honor and glory to him, but we think will bring honor and glory to us. It's what we want. And so he knows, and he knows, he knows every decision that we will make. He knows every hair on his he- your head. He knows everything about you. And that's why he sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus because when we choose Jesus, we find our dwelling place there. When we choose Jesus, we find our dwelling place there. We are under that authority and protection. 
And if Christ was crushed for my inequities, my heart should be broken for the things that crushed him. If he was crushed for my sin and my choices, then in turn, when I repent, my heart should be crushed for the things that crushed him. That should, bring, that should be what brings me back under the authority of Christ, under that covering that God gives to all of humanity. He freely and open gives that to us, but it's our decision. And he's our shield and our protector despite our sin. And the least that I can offer him is a crushed spirit that is humble before him, that wants to walk and step with him so that he can mend up my broken heart and help me live a holy and righteous life. Church, we can't be ashamed of our brokenness anymore. And I'm so thankful for the ways that the Lord um, used David's life and his testimony and his brokenness and humanity to show us what true repentance is. His lack of perfection, it has paved the way for the rest of us. And leaning in to that has shown me what a fully surrendered heart to the Lord looks like. And it shows me how much he loves me. Verse 7 of Psalm 36, How precious is your unfailing love of God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delight. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Lord, may our hearts be honest. May our hearts be humbled and broken for the things that, broke it, that your heart breaks for. Something that if I flip through my journal over the years that I have continually, continually asked the Lord for is a surrendered heart. And I don't know if that's because I don't think I have one or if I, I, if I just need the reminder that it's a choice for me to have a surrendered heart to Jesus. Because that, that's what I want. I want a heart that, I want a heart of David. I want a heart that is fully surrendered to Jesus. But I think I, for so long, I was scared of my sin and my brokenness. And I chose chains of shame and guilt. And when I chose those, I gave up my surrendered heart to the Lord. Because you can't have both. Because a surrendered heart to the Lord is a heart that chooses to walk in freedom, that walks in repentance. And so for so long, I think I stiff-armed God for far too long, for so many years. And I only accepted his grace at a surface level, like, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. But a surrendered heart, it knows true repentance. And it doesn't just say, sorry, God, and move on. A surrendered heart breaks because it's broken God's heart. Church, holiness and righteousness, they aren't this big, scary, unattainable thing that we never get to receive. But it starts with our brokenness and the recognition of our humanity. And the Lord takes that and he does something beautiful with us, just how he created us out of dust. He takes our brokenness and our humanity and he gets down on his knees and he goes, look what I'm going to do with this. 
I'm going to make something beautiful out of this. I'm going to redeem this. And then that redeemed person gets to walk and testify of my goodness to other people. That broken heart that's now mended up, it gets to show other people my love for them. It gets to show other people how beautiful of a life you can have when you walk and operate under the covering and the authority of Jesus. And I believe today, just like he used David's brokenness to display his mercy and glory, he wants to use yours too. He has a desire to take those broken places of our life and make it into something beautiful. And I think we, we think that's so cliche too often. Like, yeah, he, t- he takes the broken things and he makes them beautiful. Okay. But I don't think we, I don't think we really accept that truth. Like, this isn't what he wants for you. He doesn't want you to operate in a place of shame and guilt. But he wants to take that shame and guilt away from you and free you and then take that brokenness and he wants to use it to lead someone else to Jesus. And that starts in our own hearts. And it starts with true repentance. And it starts with being humble enough to sit under the authority of Christ. And that's where we're led in holiness and righteous, when we choose to sit under the authority of Christ. And it's not by our own merit, but it's only because of Jesus. Psalm 51, verses 13 through 19. Then I can show other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you, knowing that you will forgive them. Oh God, My saving God, deliver me fully from every sin, even the sin that brought blood guilt. Then my heart will once again be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of your joy and deliverance. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not found in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I bow down humbly at your feet. Because you favor Zion, do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around Jerusalem. And then when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives. And as we bring our sacrifices of righteousness before you in love. Church, as we close and as we use, um, as the Lord uses this next song that I know will minister to each of your hearts, I just ask that you would humble yourselves before him. And if there's anything in your heart that he needs to work on and remove, anything that you need to lay out before him in repentance, do it. And it's scary at first. It can feel scary at first, but don't believe that lie. Because when we, when we choose to shake off those invisible chains of shame and guilt, we get to walk in freedom. And walking in freedom is the best, best thing, and it's what God wants for you. And it might seem like it's this 
just something small that the Lord has placed in your heart that you need to repent and turn from, but he cares even about the smallest of things. He cares even about the smallest thing in our heart that is keeping us from fully knowing him. And so, God, I just ask that you um, would do what only you can do in the ways that you speak and touch each of, each of our hearts, Lord. Um, you, you minister to each of us in different ways. And so, God, I just ask today that um, our hearts would be humbled before you. God, that you would um, take the stony and stubbornness of our of our sin nature, God, and you would turn it into a heart of flesh, Lord, that we would just have hearts that want, that want more of you, God, hearts that are surrendered to you. May that be the choice that as we walk out of this place today, God, um, may we choose you time and time again. And we thank you and we praise you for for your grace and your mercy and your love for us, that you freely give us this gift of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you were crushed for our inequities, that you were crushed for our sins. God, you didn't have to do that. But you love us so, so much. And Lord, I pray for the heart today that is in this room that feels so unworthy of your love. God, we bind and rebuke that lie and we send it back to the pit of hell in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the freedom that that heart is going to experience. Lord, we thank you for surrendered hearts. We thank you that we get to live a life that brings you glory. Lord, we thank you that despite our humanity, you have called us to be holy and righteous and how beautiful that is. God, I thank you that we, we don't fall into the world's standards, but we are sons and daughters of the most high King. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are used to bring you glory here on earth. We are used, we are vessels used by you to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so God, I just ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would, that you would humble hearts, Jesus, soften hearts. And I thank you for the freedom and the joyous praise that will that will go forth from this place today. And it's your name I pray, amen.